It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Whenever we reach a, uh, a round number on the podcast, it feels like a big accomplishment. Um, and this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com is number 80. And that feels like a big deal. And then it just kind of seems as arbitrary as any other number. 75 seems like more of a milestone than 80. But anything that ends in a zero, you feel like, man, we made another 10 episodes. Crazy. Yeah, well, if we want to put it this way, uh, I just looked up 80 in Roman numerals because we haven't gotten there yet for Super Bowl, so I don't know what it is. Off Wait, let me, let me see. I took Latin in high school because the Spanish and French teacher hated my sister. Um, is it LX? No, wait, oh, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, LXXX. That is correct. Yeah! Which just makes it sound like the super extra large podcast <laughs> um, if you just look at it in a mirror. So that's true. That, that makes it feel like more of a milestone. I think we should. Go yeah, ahead. we should. Maybe we should just post this like the, the NFL did last year, changing from Roman numerals to 50. Yeah, Maybe we'll we go change more. from the number to Roman numerals for this. Right. One. If they're not going to use them anymore, we're, we're yeah. more than happy to take we'll them. We'll inherit your Roman numerals. Sure. Sure. Seems like a good idea. So, hey, with that, welcome in. It's the 80th edition of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. You can find this show if you've already found us, which it seems you have, by the way you're listening to us right now, uh, a big thanks to you for doing that. You can find us kind of all over the place. We're at MILB.com slash podcast. We're also on iTunes. We're on the Stitcher app. You can find us there as the Minor League Baseball Podcast, and we got a lot coming up for you on the show today. The number three ranked prospect in the Los Angeles Angels organization, catcher Taylor Ward, will join the show from Scottsdale, where he is a member of the Scottsdale Scorpions in the 2016 Arizona Fall League. We'll have a conversation with with Taylor coming up. Really good to get a chance to talk to him. I think our first Angels guy on the show, which is a good barrier to have broken down. Um, and then a little bit later on in the show, we'll talk with our good pal Benjamin Hill about some promo of the year candidates for the 2016 Milby Awards. And that is where we kick off this week's edition of the show. We are going to, as Sam put it in the email today, we're going to eschew three strikes. And instead, we're going to just dive into Milby categories. We're going to go with the five biggest... And we're going to get things started with the top offensive performer of the year. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through the 10 nominees for these categories. We'll have a staff selection. We'll have a fan selection. We'll have the stories coming out. Um, there'll be stories start running at the end of the month. So we will have those coming out very soon to you. We're going to run through all of the, the nominees. Sam and I will give you some discussion about each. Then we'll move on to the next category. So we'll start with top offensive prospect, top offensive player of the year. Um, and these are those nominees. Alex Bregman. You may have heard of him. Uh, a very good prospect in the Houston Astros organization who this year just tore things up on his way to the big leagues where he ended up by the end of July. This season in 80 minor league games slashed, slashed 306, 406, 580 did Alex Bregman 
Those are good numbers. Uh, Dylan Cousins, double-A outfielder in the Philadelphia Philly system, bashed 40 home runs this year. He was the Joe Bauman Award winner as the Miners home run leader. David Dahl, the outfielder in the Colorado Rockies system, slash 314, 394, 569 in 92 games between double-A Hartford and triple-A Albuquerque before he, too, reached the major leagues late in the summer. Mitch Hanniger, the outfielder from the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, a fantastic season, posted a 407 on base percentage with 21 extra base hits through 55 games at the start of the season. And, and that was just in double A and then jumped up at triple A and got even better. Hit 341 over 74 games there. Reese Hoskins, 38 home runs. He was chasing his double A teammate, Dylan Cousins, in the Philly system for that homer title basically all summer. Really impressive season from Reese Hoskins. By the way, this is a fun wrinkle. Both Reese Hoskins and Dylan Cousins played in the Australian Baseball League, did not play as teammates in that league, now playing as teammates uh, in the Philly system. Just kind of a cool little tie-in, one of those random baseball things uh, from the past in their careers. Francisco Mejia, catcher in the Cleveland Indians organization, you may remember of the 50-game hitting streak this year, the longest of any minor leaguer since the 1950s. Yohan Mankata, who just crushed the baseball all over the place this season in the Boston. Red Sox organization, all-world second baseman. Brandon Nimmo, the outfielder in the New York Mets organization, hit 352, 423, 541 in 97 games this year and joined the podcast, by the way. Tyler O'Neill, who just continues to kill the ball all over the place for the Seattle Mariners, who's currently in the Arizona Fall League, bashed another 24 homers and drove in 102 runs this season, led the Southern League in slugging, RBIs, and total bases for Double A Jackson. And finally, Hunter Renfro, who's the Pacific Coast League's most valuable player in 2016. Triple-A National Championship game appearance for El Paso. Hunter Renfro was really at the forefront of that. He slashed 306, 336, 557. Sam, your thoughts on the top offensive players of the year for the 2016 Milbies? Yeah, so I think we have a pretty good mix here. Um, you know, I, it, I know other publications have come out with their minor league player of the year already, and it's actually been kind of interesting to watch to see what people, different people value and to see just the wide range of picks. I think Alex Bregman has won a couple of them. Yoan Mankata has won a couple of them. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about Dylan Cousins potentially winning other ones. Uh, so it, it's nice that there's not one clear cut answer here. Um, yeah, personally, when we were going through who we think should win, um, I think I might've had Alex Bregman at the top of my list. Uh, you know, some people might not like the fact that he only played 80 games this year, but Tyler ran through his stats. Uh, you know, this is a guy who hit 20 home runs in 80 games, also stole 17 bases, um, just tore it up at double a got even better at triple a. Uh, and was up in the majors, you know, by the end of July. Um, you know, while he was here, I think he was the best hitter in minor league baseball. Uh, that's the problem, though, is that if they're the best hitter in minor league baseball, they aren't going to be in minor league baseball very long. Um, so how you at home kind of evaluate that, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, I, I think on the podcast in the past, I said, you know, if Tyler O'Neill goes on a crazy run, in the Southern League playoffs, he's definitely worthy of your consideration. Well, we'd certainly know he did that, helping lead Double A Jackson to a Southern League title. Uh, was also the postseason MVP and the regular season MVP in the Southern League. So he's you know another guy worthy of your your consideration. Um, you know if if you're a guy who or if, you know if you're somebody who watched this guy do well, you know the the hitting challenge in the AFL over the weekend. Um, just know that it shows up in games as well. I think he hit the ball off the tee, out of the park. He's the first guy ever in the hitting challenge to do that. Um, so, you know, just up and down this list. Uh, we'll touch again on Mejia in a little bit, but I don't, so I'll, I'll kind of leave that off to the side. 
Uh, but yeah, you certainly can't go wrong. I think with any of these picks, it was tough limiting it to 10. Uh, never mind trying to pick just one. I really like Brandon Nimmo too. Um, Brandon Nimmo's season this year, he only played in 97 games, and that to me makes it even more impressive because the amount of trips he had up to the big leagues and back, you know, Michael Conforto was kind of in that same boat. But to hit 352, 423, 541 in 97 games with all of that time, during which you're having some stretches where you're not getting regular at-bats because of the time that he spent in the major leagues is extremely impressive to me. Yeah, it's Las Vegas. Yeah, it's the Pacific Coast League, but still a lot to be excited about there. Um, yeah, there are a ton of fun names on this list, and it was really, really tough to narrow it down uh, just to 10. Mitch Hanniger, I think, is a guy who really deserves a lot of consideration, too. Um, wrote about him for the organization All-Star Stories in the D-backs uh, system, and uh, a guy who really broke out this year and has, a it seems like right now, a pretty high ceiling if he can find his way to the big leagues and stick. Um, if he did what he did, if he does what he did this season at double A and triple A, uh, going to be a lot of fun to watch in Arizona. Um, top starting pitcher. We'll move to that one next. And we'll start in the New York Yankees organization with the right-hander chance Adams, a product of Dallas Baptist university unbeaten in 12 starts with class. A advanced Tampa then jumps up to double a Trenton wins his first eight decisions there in total 13 and one, 2.33 ERA through 127 and a third innings pitch this season. PJ Conlon uh, of the other New York system, System, the Mets organization kind of comes out of nowhere born in Northern Ireland which I love about PJ Conlon really cool story raised in California he put together a string of seven straight wins in his first eight starts in April and May for Class A Columbia then gets jumped up to the Florida State League in 12 outings there 1.41 ERA back in the Yankee system Dietrich ends a left-hander 14-4 1.73 finishes the season with AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre Tyler Glass now right-hander in the Pittsburgh Pirates system He's been so good for so long, and he's still just 23 years old. This year in the International League, 8-3, and three, a 1.87 ERA in 20 starts. Stephen Gonsalves, the left-hander from the Twins system uh, in double-A this year with the Chattanooga Lookouts, 13-5, and five, the 2.06 ERA. Josh Hader, who kind of slipped under the radar a little bit when he made the climb to triple-A Colorado Springs. Fantastic start to the season with double-A Biloxi in the Milwaukee system, a 0.95 ERA and 11 starts there, and he's Still posted a season-long ERA of just 3.29 despite a 5.22 mark at AAA Colorado Springs. And even there, he struck out 88 batters in 69 innings, which is a pretty nice total. Mitch Keller, the right-hander in the Pittsburgh Pirates system, 8-5, 2.35 ERA and a breakout season, season for him, second-round pick back in 2014. Ben Lively in the Phillies organization led all of minor league baseball with 18 wins. He went 18-5 and five at 2.69 ERA this season. Perfect with AA Redding. With a 7-0 and mark, then jumped up to the International League. He was tied for the International League lead in wins and did not make his first appearance in AAA until May 27th. And yeah, pitcher wins, whatever. But he limited batters in the International League to a 196 batting average through 117 and two-thirds there. Brock Stewart, the right-hander in the Dodger system, rocketed through the system this year. Started the year with Class A advanced Rancho Cucamonga. Then he's in the big leagues, uh, you know, like midway through the season. It felt soft time uh, at Rancho, at Tulsa for AA and at AAA Oklahoma City before getting the call to Los Angeles. And finally, Brandon Woodruff back in the Brewer system, 14-9, 2.68, finishes his year with AA Biloxi a lot of good starters in this in this group as well yeah and and what i think the interesting thing here is there's not as many top prospects as there are for offensive players yeah Um, some of these guys are like you said a a guy like pj conlin a guy like chance adams uh dietrich ends you know some of these guys kind of go under the radar during the season even though they're having really good seasons uh because they're not on these prospect lists they're not on your must-follow lists 
uh, but they forced their forced their way there, I should say. Um, you know, by the way they had pitched, by the way they had performed at the levels, you know, they were assigned to. Uh, yeah, there are still, you know, some really good prospects here. And Tyler Glasnow sticks out of that group. But Josh Hader is another guy who I think is a top 50 prospect. Uh, Gonzalez has worked his way into the top 100. Mitch Keller, the same thing. So there's, there's a good mix there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to see the guys who necessarily weren't on our radar uh, put, their, put themselves there. The guy I, I will highlight in that kind of vein is Brock Stewart. Uh, this is a guy who started the year at, at High A Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, you know, only a c- couple months later, moved his way to the majors. It's a guy who had a 1.79 ERA across three levels in the minors this year. Uh, struck out 129, only walked 19 in 121 innings. Uh, that's just insane. And that's you know, he got the reward of being up with a big club. I know he was in that dugout. Uh, for the Dodgers during their postseason run, uh, or is currently in their dugout, uh, so he's getting to enjoy that the fruits of that success. Um, you know, in a, in a system that you know was so predominant with pitching in Julio Urias and uh, you know Jose De Leon. Now this is just another guy who I think we now have to pay attention to. Uh, so Brock Stewart might be the guy that sticks out to me just because I really like that K to walk ratio, but Mitch Keller certainly falls in that same group, uh, with 138 strikeouts and only 19 walks, um, you know, between class A West Virginia and class A advanced Bradenton. So, you know, there's a little something here for everybody, uh, whether you like the really low ERAs, whether you like a lot of wins, whether you like a lot of strikeouts, whether you're, you like a low walk count, uh, I, I I can kind of see this one being pretty well split. I don't think there's going to be a pretty clear winner here. Keep an eye on that left-hander Steven Gonsalves in the uh, Minnesota Twins organization because this year really feels like kind of his second straight breakout year. He was a fourth-round pick back in 2013. But last year, between two levels, uh, Class A Cedar Rapids and Class A Advanced Fort Myers, 13-3, and 2.01, and 24 stars. And you think, how much better is he going to get this year between Fort Myers and Double A uh, Chattanooga? He goes 13-5 and with the 2.06 and 24 starts as well. So basically just a carbon copy at arguably the two most difficult levels to adjust to a minor league baseball uh, so keep an eye on steven as well um this is my favorite category every year because there are so many different ways you can go with your vote so many different ways you can go with your definition of what this means but no matter what they're all really cool stories and that's the category for breakout prospect these are the 10 right-hander yadier alvarez a right-handed pitcher in the los angeles dodgers organization 20 year old cuban defector the dodgers signed last july went to the arizona league for his pro debut then jumps up to class a great lakes this season with the loons a four and three record a 2.12 era and he struck out 55 in 39 and a third innings. And oh, by the way, his fastball hits triple digits too. Um, also in the Dodgers system, Cody Bellinger, who's a guy we've talked about a lot this season. First baseman batted 271, 365, 507, climbs through double A Tulsa, reaches triple A Oklahoma City. Um, last year, 30 homers in 2015, a class A advanced Rancho Cucamonga. Um, a really fun prospect and a guy who I think showed that 2015 wasn't a fluke by continuing to be successful in 2016. Mitch Keller, we talked about him a little bit. Second round pick back in 2014 for the Pirates this year just blew up, comes back really, really strong uh, from a forearm strain that limited him in 2015. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, who we've talked about some on the podcast as well, in the Cubs system, at the start of the year, 
number 10 prospect, just kind of rockets up the rankings for Chicago. That at 329, 369, 532, finishes his year with Class A advanced Myrtle Beach. Reynaldo Lopez, who you saw on the mound yesterday in Game 4 of the National League Division Series for the Washington Nationals. We're obviously recording this on Wednesday, in case you're listening to it on Thursday. Uh, but this year, Reynaldo Lopez, 5-7 and seven record, a 3.21 ERA, 126 strikeouts against 35 walks and 109 and a third innings pitched. Really good season that sees Lopez climb to the major leagues. Tristan McKenzie in the Indians organization, 42nd overall pick back in 2015. Class A short season, Mahoning Valley was where he got things started, a 0.55 ERA and 49 and a third. Jumps up, finishes the year at Class A Lake County. Francisco Mejia, we talked about him as well, the catcher in the Indian system, 50-game hitting streak. Talk about breakout. There's not much more you can do uh, as, as far as a prospect to really assert yourself than put up a 50-game hitting streak. Uh, Yohander Mendez, who is a lefty in the Rangers system, fantastic season this year. Climbs from Class A Advanced High Desert all the way to the big leagues. Ahmed Rosario guest on the podcast last week double a shortstop for the new york mets second tour uh this season through the level 324 374 459 his slash line 120 games and andrew tolls who again you've seen all over your television screen over the last couple of weeks as the dodgers made a run to the national league west title and then uh, i've gotten things started now facing a game five in the division series andrew tolls has been in the mix of all that um he was released after three years in the race system didn't play at all in 2015 was signed by the Dodgers as a minor league free agent last September, and then all of a sudden blows through three levels this year, makes the major leagues, and is a catalyst for that Dodgers team. So there's some really cool stories in this, too. Yeah, and I, and I really like what you said at the top. Um, you know, this is one of my favorite categories. It's also the one I'm going to be writing up. Um, so that's really exciting for me, uh, just because it's so much fun to write about guys who obviously grew during the season, and you get to tell their stories of you know what happened at the beginning versus who they are at the end. Uh, last year, I got to write about Orlando Arcia in that kind of mold. Um, and looking back at former winners, it was Orlando Arcia last year, Daniel Norris in 2014, Michael Franco in 2013, and Dan Straley in 2012. Uh, all of which, you know, are are major league players now. So this is not just some small category uh, where you won't be hearing from many of these guys again. You will be hearing from these guys uh, at probably the game's top level. Uh, but it's it's all about how you define breakout. Do you see breakout as a guy you completely had not thought of at the beginning of the year? And now, you know, you you have to think about as one of the game's top prospects or somebody who is now a major league contributor. If that's the case, then I think Andrew Tolles is your guy. I mean, that's just a guy who, as Tyler laid out there, you know, was a minor league free agent last September, um, just completely dropped out of the race system. Uh, wasn't much of anything, wasn't considered at all a prospect really this year, and now is starting games for a playoff team and a very legitimate playoff team, the Dodgers. Uh, So he broke out in that way. But do you reward him for doing that, or do you reward somebody like Eloy Jimenez, who, you know, as Tyler said too, was the number 10 prospect in the Cubs system? Certainly a good prospect in a loaded system, but now all of a sudden is one of the game's you know, most intriguing bats could be, you know, just one of the a future all-star, a future multi-all-star uh, with the way he's performed in his first full season. So now he's a legitimate prospect. You know, he goes from a guy who's just somebody on a list to, okay, we want to see what Eloy Jimenez is going to do. I know he's at number one or certainly in the top five of guys I'm excited to see in this fall league year, given the way he's going to be tested 
after you know mostly playing at Class A South Bend this year. Uh, so you know he fits that mold. I think Yadier Alvarez fit, fits that mold. Tristan McKenzie, same way. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is a guy you know we, you heard from him last week. If you listen to the podcast, if you didn't, please go back and listen to it. Um, but Rosario was a guy we thought was pretty good in terms of defense, but all of a sudden, you know, finishes the year hitting 324 with a 374 on base percentage and 19 steals. And now we're thinking maybe he's the whole package. So he broke out in that way. Uh, it's kind of choose your flavor, choose what you like. You know, I know I've said that about the previous other categories as well, but uh, yeah, in, in that way, you know, I don't think there's one standout guy here. Uh, you know, maybe this is a place you want to reward Francisco Mejia. If you're a big Indians fan, you can vote for him in multiple categories between offensive player, breakout prospect, and uh, I think individual performance. Uh, he was nominated for the 50-game hitting streak. So, you know, do you want to vote for him here? Or do you want to vote for him all over the place? You, you certainly have your chance uh, as a guy like Rosario, who we thought was a defense-first type prospect. Now he's certainly more than that with the way he performed with the bat. So, uh, yeah, I, you certainly can't go wrong with any of these 10 guys. All right. Another tough one to to make a call on because, again, the definition of this is so wide open, and that's what makes the Milby so much fun to vote in. But best team, this is for the most dominant club in minor league baseball. And we start things off in the AA Texas League with the Corpus Christi Hooks, who started with a loaded roster. Alex Bregman was there, Derek Fisher, T. Oscar Hernandez. Um, and Corpus Christi goes on to bash 142 home runs this season in the Astros organization. Um, Eugene, the Class A short season Eugene Emeralds, win their first title since 1975. They also broke their own Northwest League record with a 15-game winning streak. Uh, at the rookie ball level, the GCL Phillies saw the top draft pick in the 2016 Major League Baseball first-year player draft, Mickey Moniak, lead their way to the postseason with 28 RBIs and 10 stolen bases. Uh, the High Desert Mavericks, one of the, the craziest stories um, in recent memory, really, in minor league baseball team that was contracted from the California league at the end of the season, but also won a title before that happened. The uh, Mavs closed down the franchise with a California league championship. Jackson generals winning their second title in franchise history, the double a affiliate of the Seattle Mariners. We talked about Tyler O'Neill, DJ Peterson, a good year there as well as Jackson rolled to a title in the Southern league. The Myrtle beach Pelicans win their second consecutive Carolina league title after having not won one since 2000. And they did it without top prospect Glaber Torres, who was traded from the Cubs to the New York Yankees in that midseason deal for Aroldis Chapman. The Oklahoma City Dodgers, uh, one level below the, the Major League Club, which has needed so many reinforcements this year. Oklahoma City, even despite all of that craziness, all of the turnover with that roster still this year behind a pitching staff that was anchored at first by Julio Arias and then later on by Jose De Leon, now the top prospect in the organization. They led the PCL with 1,245 strikeouts as a unit. The AA Redding fight in Phils with uh, a couple of guys who were chasing down 40 home runs. Dylan Cousins got there. Reese Hoskins fell too shy. Um, a combined 78 home runs between those two. They led all three AA leagues with 1,309 hits and 790 runs. Did Scranton Wilkesbury, the Rail Riders, uh, winning the Governor's Cup and the AAA National Championship game in the Yankee system, and the State College Spikes in the Cardinals organization in the Class A short season New York Penn League scored 378 runs and won their second title in three years. Um, these, it's like everybody is such a worthy contender, and not just the teams that won titles. I mean, even the teams that didn't win titles have good arguments for this award. Yeah, and I, I want to, you know, kind of stress that this isn't all right, we're going to set up a 10-team tournament and who's going to win. Um, you know, that, that 
that's not what we're talking about with best team. We're talking about really however you want to define it. So maybe you do want to say, listen, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders won a AAA national championship. Uh, they would be better than all th- these other teams on here. That's how you can vote. But you're certainly not obligated to do so. Uh, it's, you know, who who did the best in their environment? Who did the best given their circumstances? Uh, all of that kind of rolled into one. Uh, there's one I kind of want to defend because, you know, when I was coming up with these lists, I definitely wanted this team on here, even though they didn't win a championship, was the GCL Phillies. Uh, we don't. We certainly don't talk a lot about the GCL, either on the site or on the podcast, more than any other league. Um, and that's just because it's a complex level. Not a lot of fans show up. It's usually just first season rookies finding themselves. It's just a chance for those guys to set themselves up. Uh, but those GCL Phillies just went on a tear. You know, there in the in the Gulf Coast League. Um, you know, Mickey Moniak's the guy who stands out there. Uh, they had a no- number of other notable. Phillies prospects, but this is a team that went 43 and 15 for a winning percentage of 0.741. So almost, you know, 75% of their games, three out of every four, they were winning. And I think that was the best winning percentage among all domestic teams this year. Obviously a smaller sample than some of these other leagues that play 140 games. But, you know, that's when we're talking about best team nominees, that's the kind of teams. Those are the kinds of teams that I think should be at least nominated. So I wanted to back that up just a little bit. Um, but yeah, some of these other ones, if you are looking for a sentimental favorite, I think it's got to be High Desert. Uh, send them off you know, with a Milby. We don't have official awards to send any of these guys. We've, we've gotten questions on that in the past, but it would be nice you know, to kind of send those guys out with something like that you know, after they not only won the California League title but have to close their doors uh, for now at the very least. Um, that would be a chance to go out on top. But, you know, as I said, you have plenty of other options. Uh, if you're looking for teams that are really good prospect-based, I think Redding is certainly one of those teams. Uh, you know, they started out the year with guys like J.P. Crawford, Jorge Alfaro. Uh, but at the end of the year, you know, we're talking about Reese Hoskins and Dylan Cousins as their leaders. Um, so a lot of fun to watch teams like that. Or Corpus Christi, you know, started out the year with Alex Bregman. By the end, we're talking about, Derek Fisher and Teoscar Hernandez and JD Davis. So, um, yeah, you know, it, uh, with a lot of these, I think people are going to vote for their favorite systems or their, you know, favorite prospects and all that. Um, but if you're coming in clean and you're looking for, for, uh, fun stories or just dominant teams, you're certainly not going to go barren here. I still um, just can't get over what Oklahoma City was able to do this year. The Los Angeles Dodgers set a major league record this year for most players put on the disabled list. So Oklahoma City, I mean, that roster was ravaged from week to week with the amount of transition that they had, guys coming through for rehab, guys going up for promotions, guys coming back down. It's not easy to keep any sort of continuity when that is your reality. And for Oklahoma City to have still made the postseason, made a run at getting a league title was really, really impressive. So that's another one, uh, you know, a feather in the hat of that organization um the last one that we're going to talk about and then we'll touch on some of the final categories but the last one we'll go in depth into is the best farm system award which is again one of those um kind of i guess 
molding uh, sort of parameters where it's, do you look at win percentage? Do you look at the guys who graduated to the major leagues? Do you look at the the way the lower level prospects climbed? You can kind of mold those to your specifications in order to cast your vote, but these are the 10 contenders for that. The Boston Red Sox, this year, the Red Sox lose out on prospects like Anderson Espinosa, Logan Allen, Manny Margot, Javier Guerra, Carlos Asuaje. Those all traded away in two deals, and still Boston's minor league system records a 556 winning percentage. Joan Mankata blows up. Andrew Benintendi, obviously, to the major leagues. Very impressive season for Boston. Chicago Cubs, we've seen what the Cubs organization has done in graduating talent, major, major league talent over the last couple of seasons, and that talent continues to grow in the system. Yes, they traded away Glaber Torres, but they still have Eloy Jimenez. They still have Trevor Clifton, Ian Happ, Heimer Candelario, guys like that. Cleveland Indians organization, um, that, I think, may catch some people by surprise. You know about Francisco Mejia, but beyond him, Bobby Bradley hit 29 homers. Bradley Zimmer was very, very good in the top levels in the system. Uh, the Indians, you know, you kind of look at where the Major League team is right now. You feel pretty good about it if you're a Tribe fan. Maybe brighter days ahead because that system is pretty talented right now. Uh, the Houston Astros, it seems like they're going to be in this conversation every year no matter what. Alex Bregman graduates, and still behind him, Joe Musgrove, Francis Martez, Derek Fisher, Kyle Tucker, David Paulino, guys like that uh the dodger system we continue to see as we talked about with brock stewart we continue to see guys kind of come out of nowhere in this system i mean before that it was jose de leon a very low draft pick out of southern uh who comes out and just tears up the world to put himself on the prospect radar this year brock stewart does the same thing that's after the graduation of julio arias uh cody bellinger another breakout year alex verdugo a very good season the dodgers with a lot of bright stuff uh coming through the pipeline as well the Minnesota Twins, even we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, even though we've seen some struggles from guys like Byron Bucks and Miguel Sano, Jose Barrios, there is still so much talent in that system. Tyler J and Steven Gonsalves, we talked about Steven a little bit ago, both top 100 prospects on the mound, and they've had other guys behind those guys who have very, very good seasons like Cole Stewart. Um, and still on the position player side, there are prospects like Nick Gordon and Adam Walker um, that really forced the issue in Minnesota. Those guys are going to be there sooner rather than later. Uh, the New York Yankees system, we've talked about a ton because of just how strange it is to talk about that as a, an organization that's building from within. That system is loaded right now, though. They bring in Clint Frazier. They bring in Glaber Torres. They bring in Justice Sheffield, all top 100 players, and obviously they win a AAA National Championship in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. Philadelphia Phillies, we discussed a minute ago just how good Mickey Moniak was this season, but Ben Lively, Jorge Alfaro, Thomas Eshelman, J.P. Crawford continues to be very good. Oh, and then there's Dylan Cousins and Reese Hoskins with 78 combined homers. Seattle Mariners. This is one of the most fascinating ones to me because the Mariners last year were awful as a system in terms of winning. They had one of the worst winning percentages in minor league baseball this year. We talked to Andy McKay, their new player development director, talked to him over the offseason coming into 2016 on the podcast. He said one thing we're going to emphasize is winning. And that turns into the best winning percentage in minor league baseball for Mariners affiliates. Um, this season, Tyler O'Neill and Luis Gohara, really the guys who stand out in that organization, Gohara and O'Neill right now, already doing some good work in the AFL. And finally, the St. Louis Cardinals, Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver, their top pitching prospects, got some late season call-ups and even beyond them, really good performances on the mound from guys like Harrison Bader, uh, Sandy Alcantara. It was a, a strikeout freak this year. So that is a system that despite some struggles at the major league level this year, it's not like the Cardinals are in a downturn. There's still a lot on the way there too. Yeah. And, and um, I'm glad you mentioned this at the top. I don't think it comes up too much in our, uh, 
blurbs that we have on the site, but uh, all of these teams finished, I would say, in the top dozen, um, if not higher than that, uh, for some of them, you know, in the top dozen or so winning percentages among farm systems. Um, so, you know, we're not looking at this necessarily just through the lens of, you know, player development and guys getting big, better at the end than they were at the beginning, although you can certainly give them points for that. Uh, I know I certainly would. But, you know, we're the minor leagues, right? This is minorleaguebaseball.com. This is or MILB.com. This is the minor league baseball pro- podcast. We're looking for results on the field as well. And all of these systems that Tyler just went through are teams that not only, you know, graduated talent, um, got a lot of good, solid prospects, turned guys into top 100 prospects, but also, you know, won games on the field. Uh, and, and in that way, uh, you know, I think you kind of stole the words right out of my mouth with the Mariner system. Um, that is a system I don't think anybody would have considered, you know, a top farm system at the beginning of the year. Uh, I don't know if you you would still necessarily put them in that list. But, you know, Tyler O'Neill is doubt, now definitely a top 100 prospect. Luis Guhara is a guy who, who I know a lot of people are excited to see at this year's AFL for the way he pitched, you know, this year in the lower levels. Uh, Edwin Diaz, this was the year that they decided, you know what, we're going to go from making him, trying to make him a starting pitcher to just making him a reliever, and he became an elite one. And that started at the minor league level uh, in Jackson. So the Mariners, you may sit there and think like, well, they don't have as much talent as the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs or the Phillies or something like that. But maybe they want to earn your vote because this is a team that they won a lot of games. I think they had the highest winning percentage in the minors. Uh, They had some champions in Eugene, in Jackson. Um, And, you know, this is is a time that you get it or this will be your chance uh, to reward them for that. Uh, But, you know, there are so many of these farm systems that I don't know if there's a clear cut top one in the same way that there was last year uh, when we were talking about this, you know, with the, I think it was the Astros who won last year. Um, You know, the way they graduated Carlos Correa, AJ Reed was the offensive player of the year. Uh, They had made the playoffs for the first time after their, you know, process of trying to, um, you know, rebuild the farm system. And it all came to bloom last year. I don't think that exists this year, the same type of thing. The Astros are again here, obviously, but, uh, you know, not the clear cut winner that they used to be. Uh, so, you know, vote the way you want. Um, we're going to be announcing our winner. Uh, we've already chosen. Vote it. your I don't conscience. Think... Yeah. Vote your conscience. America. Uh, I think I have to throw that in there and not in a Ted Cruz type of way. <laughs> I legitimately mean, please vote your conscience. Vote your conscience. Uh, I don't care which way you vote. And, uh, yeah, so th- this will be a fun one to see how the the fans kind of take it in the way we took it when we were voting on the staff vote. There are uh, a handful of other categories that you can go check out at MILB.com slash Milby as well, including top relief pitcher, game of the year, best performance, photo of the year, and promo of the year, which we'll be discussing in depth a little bit later with Benjamin Hill, um, and also three video categories, top play, top home run, and best blooper which are always a ton of fun if you're looking for something to do to waste some time at work, um, which we don't condone, of course. Um, but, for us, it is work. But yeah, exactly. It's not really us, wasting time. So yeah, no, we're uh, we're good that way. Right. Um, so, so with those in mind, you can head to MILB.com slash Milby and cast your ballot in every category we've got for the 2016 Milbys. And that's going to do it for the, uh, the first segment of episode number 80 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Coming up, we are headed to the Arizona Fall League. 
And we're headed to the Los Angeles Angels organization for the first time on the podcast. The third-ranked prospect in the system, catcher Taylor Ward, product of Fresno State in a first-round draft selection in 2015, coming off of his first year of full-season ball with the Class A Advanced Inland Empire 66ers and now getting his first taste of the AFL. Taylor Ward joins the show next. Talking a lot of Arizona Fall League today, and we head down to the AFL for the first time in the 2016 season where we find our guest for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. It is the third-ranked prospect in the Los Angeles Angels organization, catcher Taylor Ward, who is a member of the Scottsdale Scorpions for the 2016 AFL and coming off a heck of a good opening day uh, in AFL action. Taylor, welcome to the show. What's going on? Yeah, how you doing? Good to be here. Good to have you. So take us through yesterday. You get jumped into the to the fall league, uh, start the season pretty well. You ended the regular season on a six-game hitting streak, first game of the fall league, uh, get a few knocks, two for two, uh, with a double, two doubles actually, and three runs batted in. You guys get the victory. Um, to you know, I can't imagine there's a lot of rust that builds up over those uh, few weeks of the offseason before you get into the fall league, but what's it like to get out there and knock it off anyway and, uh, you know, get started off on a good foot? Oh, it, it, it always feels feels pretty good to get off on a on a nice note and uh i mean you know things that i took away from this past season and and all that learning all the learning process and stuff that i had to go through during the struggles and you know that the highs of the season and uh, you know i just really took that into the month that i had before uh coming out here to arizona um, i actually built a batting case in my backyard this past off season so when i went back i was able just to go back in there and, and really work on some things and I think I really hammered them out, um, you know, uh, just really working on some timing and rhythm things that have, have really shown in the box score. And, uh, you know, it's baseball. Luckily, those balls fell yesterday and, um, you know, just have to come out and hit a couple more balls hard today. The uh, the first round of the 2015 draft, you went to the Angels with the 26th overall pick, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get thrown into this fire of pro ball. You go off to Orem, you play in the in the Pioneer League, then it's off to Burlington. You get 24 games toward the end of your first year in full season ball, um, and then your first full season this year is in the California League, which is a tough level to jump into. But to be able to now have this opportunity, you're going against, I mean, basically all star teams every day in the AFL. Um, what does that do for you, just you know, competitive wise and mentality wise, knowing that the Angels think this much of you they want to see you in action against really top flight competition handling really top flight staff seeing really good pitching um you know being able to have that as an opportunity at the end of your first full year in professional ball oh absolutely i mean having them send me here you know it shows that they really like what i'm doing and, and what i've been working on this past season and you know getting with jose molina and, and mike sosa earlier in spring training getting with those guys they totally changed me you know, for the better. And, you know, finally having a, a catching coach and catching coaches is being surrounded by guys that have been playing the game for years, you know, years on years. And, you know, to have those guys next to me, I mean, it, it, it's showing up in the games and, and doing everything that I can. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun little process and, you know, to be here under the, under the angels. And I mean, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, these are players that you'll see, you know, in the big leagues one day, these pitchers, this electric stuff that they have, you know, and, and being able to face this stuff on a consistent basis is only only help. Yeah, and you, you kind of touched on it there. One thing I wanted to get to, it's something we always ask guys headed to the AFL. Um, just how do you kind of view it? Is it another chance to build on things? Is it a chance to measure yourself up? Um, you know, when they told you you were going to get this opportunity, how did you kind of view uh, moving to the Fall League? Oh, I was very excited. Um, I've heard, you know, 
from growing up, you know, watching baseball at this time in the season, you know, watching the fall league games on MLB Network as I was growing up and coming through college, you know, it's it's a, something that, you know, the, the best players go to. And, and I was excited to hear about it when I was first told. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an honor and, you know, I'm happy to be here, especially repping the Angels. And your job as a catcher, it's a little different than other people getting sent down there. You have to work with a whole new staff, guys from different organizations, some guys from your organization, obviously. Um, but, you know, being one of, I think, four catchers on that Scottsdale roster, what is it like trying to get to know some of these guys as pitchers and trying to learn their repertoires and also trying to share time a little bit behind the dish? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, every time you you come into a new team, you got to learn new names. And uh, it'll get, it gets tough sometimes. It takes a couple of weeks to really get to know everyone. And uh, hopefully, you know, as the season goes on, we're able to, to talk more and really uh, – sorry, there's a helicopter landing behind me. But really there's, a, you know, a point in time where you can really get to know these guys walking around the outfield and, and asking them, you know, how, how do they get ahead – on the hitter how do you get back into account and how do you put hitters away you know three simple questions that you can ask any pitcher and they'll tell you and just like that you guys are you know kind of on the same page even before I catch them in the game so I mean again just things I've picked up from like catching coaches Jose I mean it only uh it's only going to help me and I've taken taking a I've really put my best effort into doing everything that I can and you touched a little bit on it uh, before to Tyler's first question. You you ended the year on a you know particularly strong note. I think you had seven homers between August and September. Uh, you know after hitting 224 before the All Star break, you hit 274 after it with a 774 OPS. Uh, you mentioned growing and learning in that first pro season. Uh, how were you able to get better as the year went on, uh, specifically offensively? Um. Well, really, just watching film and, and getting with people who have you know been observing observing me throughout the season and uh, you know getting with my my hitting coach in inland and you know really talking about things and and you know getting back to things that I was good at and where I had success and little tinkering and changes that I had to do you know that that really wasn't working in the batter's box and I was able to make those changes the second half. Taylor, the the California League is a tough jump for anybody. As we'll we'll talk a little bit about the the minor league season this year. Um, to get to high A ball, high A and double A are kind of those weed out levels, and uh, and everybody talks about making that jump and how difficult it is to go from low A to high A and then high A to double A. And this year, you know, you're playing 123 games, um, which is a long haul no matter what. But it seems like the way you handle the adjustment to that level speaks really highly of your ability to adapt. I mean, especially. Like Sam said, the way that you finished the season, and in the second half, you batted 50 points higher than the first half. You had an OPS 230 points higher than the first half. What was the the adjustment curve like going from you know your first taste of full season ball in low A during your rookie season to getting into high A ball this year? The way pitchers approach you obviously is is a lot different. I mean, what was that that learning curve like over the course of the season in, in Inland Empire? Well, I mean, definitely going from each level, you know, rookie ball coming out of college. You know, there's a lot of young pitching there, and you can really, really take advantage of what those guys are trying to do to you, um, being maybe even three steps ahead of, of them, you know. And, and as you move up, low A, it was less. You know, those guys are a little bit better. You know, they can come in the fastball a little better. Um, you know, they throw pretty decent off speed, and they can command it better than the guys in rookie ball. So every level, I mean, really, it's just making adjustments and seeing 
what they're working on and what I'm working on and trying to, you know, kind of hit to my strengths. And, uh, to be honest, it's kind of like a pit, a pitcher, you know, a pitcher's going to pitch to their strength and, you know, you're just trying to find the hitter's weakness and try to get him out by pitching to the pitcher's strength. And that's what I'm doing as a hitter. Um, so in high area, I got to say that early on, they were, the pitchers were very good. They could exceptional stuff. They threw hard. Um, and I was having issues with, you know, timing and, and all the things that I worked on to get to where I am right now. So, you know, it will be the same thing next year, hopefully going to double A. It'll be tough, you know, just having to make adjustments. And, you know, you, guys who make adjustments throughout their career most likely have success. And you know, that's what I'm trying to do. And we would kind of be remiss if we didn't uh, at least acknowledge your defensive game. Uh, you know, anybody who does a scouting report on you, I think the first thing they talk about is your arm. Uh, a lot of people consider it above average. You threw out 38% of uh, attempted base stealers this year. Uh, how would you kind of grow into a, a defensive catcher in that way, being able to limit the running game? Uh, what kind of steps do you think you need to take to kind of fill out your profile on that end? Um, well, from like a throwing standpoint, I've taken exceptional jumps. Uh, I mean, I noticed it with accuracy and arm strength and, and everything that it comes with catching and throwing and footwork and, and all that stuff, anything that ties into throwing, I've done a very good job of being consistent back there and, and you know, and, and, and nailing runners that I should nail easily. Um, you know, of course, set times and jumps and other things get taken into, you know, taken in. But uh, other than that, I've, I've done everything that I can to really, you know, really show what I have through throwing the baseball we talked before about you know what kind of work you're gonna have to do with fall league pitchers and how you get to know them that kind of way uh but when you you found out this scottsdale roster which pitcher in particular were you most excited to work with well um you know there's a few on this this staff uh that i've played with in the past james caprillian you know dylan tate we both played for usa and you know catching those guys you know i caught dylan yesterday nice refresher you know he threw great and I mean James so today he'll start I won't catch him unfortunately but what I do you know hopefully we'll be clicking um pretty well because he was very very fun to catch back with USA when he was in college going to UCLA so um you know again just learning we got a, a lot of good dudes on this team and just learning them every day and you know this is only the third day third day we've been together as a whole team so uh we got a lot of learning to go all right, Taylor, last thing for you. Um, your AFL experience is already, I would imagine, very different from a lot of AFL experiences for a lot of other guys because you guys uh, on that Scottsdale roster have a, a player that some people have been focused on. There was apparently uh, about a 1,000 people at the AFL game yesterday between uh, <laughs> and your season opener, which is not something that's very common in the Arizona Fall League, but it was <laughs> yesterday, your 9-6 win over Glendale. Tim Tebow on the roster yesterday, 0 for 3, grounds out, made a play in the outfield. What's it been like? I mean, the you know, I don't want to call it a, a media circus because – it's so different from, you know, what spring training would be like or what a, a regular season thing would be like. Yeah. But for the AFL, it pretty much is. I mean, what's that whole thing been like for you guys so far? Uh, it's, honestly, it's kind of been pretty cool to sit back and watch. Uh, you know, obviously, Tim, he's, you know, he's an idol to most people. And, you know, he's done, uh, you know, an amazing job throughout his football career. And to start playing baseball, it, it's fun to – it'll be fun to watch him, him grow over these six weeks. You know, it, you know I mean, obviously – he hasn't had the, you know, the reps and the, you know, being in that situation, you know, in college or, you know, 
even back in high school, you know, like those situations where, you know, it, there are situations that you learn from and, you know, every player goes to about a hundred of them and, you know, you have to learn from them to get better and he just hasn't done that yet. So you see that, you know, d- during BP, you know, when he takes his fly balls and stuff like that and all these guys are great. They'll, they'll get with them, talk to them, tell him exactly what they're thinking. And, and, you know, he also has been able to talk to us and, and really, you know, help us out. And it, it'll be a good six weeks just to have him around, especially for that, just to watch him grow. He is Taylor Ward. You can find Taylor on Twitter, by the way. Uh, Taylor there is at WardyBoy7, W-A-R-R-D-Y-B-O-Y-7. And, uh, Taylor, thanks a ton for the time, man. Congratulations on a good start to the AFL season. Best of luck over this next six weeks, and uh, we'll be looking forward to watching you some more in 2017. Sounds good. Good talking to you guys. Hopefully I can be back on at some point. Big thanks to Taylor Ward for joining the show. We're going to talk a little bit AFL later on, but we're going to continue the conversation on Milby's, which are uh, up for your votes now at MILB.com slash Milby or Milby's, plural, if you so prefer. And uh, one of those uh, categories, one of our biggest categories of the year, promotion of the year, which is where we bring in Benjamin Hill, who is the the guru of all things promotion. Hi, Ben. Hi, but uh, I don't like to be called a guru. Okay. What's too much pressure on me. Okay. Is there an alternate title you would prefer? Um, Maven. Shaman, Maven, 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 Maven's a good Maven. One. Maven is a good one. Maven is a good one. Okay, we'll go with that. The the promo Maven. I almost said the Guru Maven. The Guru Maven. <laughs> the Guru uh, Maven. Yes, that's me. Well, the promo of the year is up for your votes now at milb.com. There are ten worthy finalists, and uh, we're going to run through them with Ben. First off, Ben. Uh, well, let's go down the list. Uh, we'll we'll start in Bowling Green. The Bowling Green Bootleggers, kind of an alternate history. Had they been named a different thing, the Bootleggers. That's what the Bowling Green Hot Rod Hot Rods took the field as for a game in the 2016 season. They in 2008 actually started this trend of what could have been with a promo all the way back then, which was the blind cave shrimp at the time, I believe, correct? It was. And um, you, know, you say 2008 because that's what I wrote in my little uh, capsule write-up of this promotion. And uh, I'm now realizing that was incorrect. So I oh, apologize okay. to everyone. It was in 2009. Okay. But yeah, the Bowling Green Hot Rods, um, they, they did the first ever what could have been night in 2009 uh, with the cave shrimp. And so they returned to the concept this year and um, did the Bowling Green bootleggers. The cave shrimp won promo of the year in 2009. So maybe history will repeat itself here. But I just thought this was one of the most creative uh, theme jerseys of the year. Uh, the bootleggers honoring uh, Bowling Green's, uh, you know, whiskey history and, uh, you know, the illicit uh, production and distribution of uh, drugs. Fans also <laughs> got complimentary mason jars on uh, on the night of the bootleggers promotion, which is pretty cool. Um, staying in, uh, in low A ball in the South Atlantic League, the Columbia Fireflies paid tribute to the late artist Prince uh, with the Purple Game, Purple Game night in Columbia, which is really cool. We unfortunately have had way too many uh, celebrities that passed away too young this year that we've had to honor. But this is a cool one in Columbia. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Fireflies, this being their first season, I think on the whole, we're pretty conservative with promotions. Um, you know, it takes a lot more effort to open up a ballpark and uh, just run run a team consistently. So, you know, I'd expect them to do more things along uh, th- these lines going forward. But they really um, jumped on uh, honoring Prince the way no other team did. And uh, it came about because um, Prince had played a show in Columbia years prior 
and uh, ended up making a very sizable donation to a uh, Columbia-based charity to help uh, kids in the area uh, with their education. And uh, so he had kind of a unique tie to the city. The the team decided to honor him. They wore the purple uh, Prince jerseys, of course. They had uh, you know a band playing Prince songs. They had purple fireworks, uh, and then of course all the little like minor league style details you'd expect. Like uh, you know if you drive a little red Corvette to the game, you get in free. Kiss night. Always a good one, um, but El Paso kind of brought this to a different level this year with uh, a theme jersey for Kiss Night, um, and they got to be sort of the team that first did a full-on um, Kiss Night in that regard because it's not always easy to get these things approved, but uh, El Paso took it took it to that length. Yeah, that's one thing that OT Sports, um, one of the leading uh, theme jersey providers, you know, in in uh, in the industry, um, what they do sometimes is they get their own license to produce a certain time type of Jersey. And then uh, the teams can just say, Oh, we like that and do it. And it's already licensed through OT sports. So that's what OT sports did. And it's funny. I was at the winter meetings last year at the trade show and the OT sports booth had these kiss jerseys. And, uh, you know, I tweeted out like, all right, what, what's, what's going to be the first team to wear these kiss jerseys. And um, Brad Taylor, the GM of the Chihuahuas, who's a huge kiss fan, you know, within hours of my tweet said, you know, it's going to be me just watch. And, uh, you know, he made it happen there at the winter meetings. And, um, I think one of the reasons this promotion was so successful is there's the so-called Kiss Army. You know, this is a band that has generations of fans, kind of yeah. like Star Wars. You know, the peak of Kiss's popularity was probably around the same time Star Wars was coming out. But it's become one of those enduring legacy things now where, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, endured through decades. And so there's a huge fan base. And, uh, you know, that fan base loves to spend their money, just like with Star Wars on, you know, on, on the paraphernalia. So this jersey auction raised $20,000, which is the most successful uh, jersey auction the team had ever had. And, of course, there's great visual elements when you're doing a Kiss promotion because of the face paint and the general uh, theatricality of, of the band themselves. So it, it really translates well to minor league baseball. And I'd expect other teams to do it um, because you can really get the fans out there who love Kiss. Maybe they don't love baseball, but they love Kiss. Didn't, didn't uh, El Paso's promotion of this promotion for the Milby, uh, didn't that get retweeted by Kiss, the Twitter account or something Yeah, like that? yeah, Speaking it did. Kiss Army. It did. Uh, the, the Chihuahuas, who won uh, Promo of the Year just two years ago with the uh, Chihuahua jersey, if you recall, you know, the, uh, the, the big cl- close-up, a face-up of a face-up, <laughs> close-up of a Chihuahua face. And... Um, yeah, so they're trying to win again just two years later, and um, they put together a little promo video saying "Vote for Kiss Night," and uh, they tagged Kiss in the tweet, and it got a retweet. It actually got, and then it got a, a whole separate tweet just from the Kiss Kiss account, and they have over one million followers. So if I'm handicapping this race, I'm thinking uh, Kiss Night might be in the lead because I don't know of any other uh, teams on this list that have gotten uh, such a uh, pronounced social media push. <laughs> I mean, unless, we'll we'll turn to this next one unless there's big wedding fans out there, or something like that, maybe. Fresno, the team that had the big fat Fresno wedding show, uh, you know, people could actually get married there this year. Maybe I don't know who they would tag in it. Um, but, yeah, to kind of talk about this one, uh, why it kind of stood out to you having so many weddings at the ballpark. Yeah, a lot of teams have had renew your vow ceremonies at the at the ballpark. And uh, Fresno, they decide to have a wedding show, you know, with all sorts of wedding related vendors coming to the ballpark. And uh, they punctuated that by getting their mascot, Parker, ordained through the universal life church and so the mascot legitimately got ordained and then married three couples at the ballpark and renewed the vows of three others um this is probably the goofiest promotion uh, among the finalists and um 
one that maybe didn't you know really move the needle in terms of the number of fans who came out to the ballpark for it. But it's such a creative idea. Any team can do it, can get their mascot ordained. Uh, it got a lot of uh, publicity nationwide just because it's so goofy and crazy. And uh, I, I couldn't resist uh, in my scientific process of narrowing this down and uh, including the nominees. Uh, this one snuck in there for sure. And this next one, uh, it seems like it was pretty early on in the year. Uh, I, I remember we talked about it a little bit on the podcast really early in the season. But the life-size bobblehead Hall of Fame in Harrisburg, uh, inducted Vlad Guerrero, Cliff Floyd, and Bryce Harper. I remember they got Vlad to show up. Uh, you know, all these months later, what still sticks out about this one? Well, this is the Harrisburg Senators um, have never had a team Hall of Fame, and you know, a lot of minor league teams have a team Hall of Fame. And um, of course, it's a great thing to have. It's going to capture some fan interest, but usually, it's just some plaques or just a sign at the ballpark that says, you know, here are the best players who've come through and played for our humble franchise, you know, en route to uh, big league stardom. Um, but a Hall of Fame itself and a minor league park is not going to be something that really uh, the, the average fan is going to notice or remember. So the Senators had this idea that we're going to do Hall of Fame, but everyone who gets inducted into our Hall of Fame will have their own life-size bobblehead permanently installed at the ballpark which is just an awesome visual so they started with vlad guerrero in april and uh vlad guerrero showed up and um then fans got you know mini or normal size bobbleheads of vlad guerrero and then later in the year they they did similar uh promotions with cliff floyd and bryce harper although neither of them showed up i don't know what bryce harper was doing <laughs> should really stick to it remember his roots dude yeah uh and we'll turn to this one we we've talked about it just recently, because it won a golden bobblehead at the promo seminar, uh, Lehigh Valley's you know salute to Philadelphia night. They became the cheesesteaks. They got to wear hats, wit onions after the online vote. Uh, you know this seemed to be a big year for for food related promotions. You know coming off the success of Fresno Tacos, uh, but what made this one stick out above all the others? Ones that happened in places like Brooklyn, Staten Island, all over the minors this year. Yeah, we had the uh, Scranton Wilkesbury uh, pierogies. Uh, we had the Coney Island Franks, um, but the cheesesteaks really did this the best. The Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks, um, because if you recall back when they, they when they announced this promo promotion, you know they had a, a big lead up to it. They had a, a website ready to go with the merchandise uh, and very well designed um, cheesesteak hats and jerseys and shirts. Um, you know, really creative element with fans voting on whether to include onions. You know, wit onions or wit out onions. Um, so they just really covered all the bases, did it in a very visually striking manner, and chose a food that people in uh, the Philadelphia region and in Lehigh Valley are, are supremely passionate about, the cheesesteak. And uh, this one, again, went viral, and, and they just did a, a phenomenal job, uh, not just with the concept but with the execution. By the way, for fellow uh, nerds kind of in this vein, I think at some point this offseason I'm going to do a story about this, but Lehigh Valley, I believe, is the only minor league team that has its uniforms made by Majestic, which makes all the major league uniforms. So it's kind of funny to think about the same factory that churns out that hallowed pinstripes, the New York Yankees, and the, the threads of the Boston Red Sox, also designing and making up dripping cheese-covered lettering that says steaks across the front of a jersey. I just find that fascinating. Um, the Lexington Legend. This is one that I actually don't really remember, but um, it seems like a, a great promo. So Glenn Hubbard is a coach on the Lexington staff, and in 1984, his Fleer baseball card featured him at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia smiling with a huge snake over his shoulders, and they did a bobblehead inspired by this. I don't recall hearing about this one, but it sounds awesome. Yes, um... 
Believe it or not, Tyler, sometimes things happen in this world. And they slip under our radar. And even if you aren't aware of it, they still occurred. <laughs> it's an amazing concept. Um, but, yeah, this is one of the best bobbleheads of the year, in, in my opinion. Um, not only is it uh, does Glenn Hubbard in bobblehead form have this snake draped around his shoulders, but they have you know a quote-unquote real hair beard uh, as well. So it's very visually striking bobblehead. And, uh, you know, it's one of the, you know, all-time great, you know, head-scratching baseball cards um, where, you know, he, he's – who it was, I think, with the Fanatic's birthday when this picture was taken. So there was a snake there for some reason. If you look in the background of the card, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on, uh, you know, circus performers and the Fanatic's back there. So it's such a bizarre baseball card. And to immortalize it with a bobblehead I think speaks to some of my deepest – and I'm sure a lot of other people's kind of like deepest baseball nerd kind of fantasies of turning something obscure uh, but beloved into another collectible item. And uh, Glenn Hubbard's on the coaching staff, and I've talked to people with the legends, and apparently he's a pretty old-school, no-nonsense guy. So he's very kind of conflicted about this promo, <laughs> kind of being like, are you kidding me? You know, I don't think he really got in the spirit of it. But at the end of the day, it got a lot of attention, and I think even Glenn Hubbard was happy because – I think he was contacted by people who he probably hadn't talked to for a long time because this got so much publicity and um, it honored a truly great baseball card. And I think uh, coming up next will be the Billy Ripken 1989 Fleer bobblehead. Oh, that would be perfect. Uh, kind of turned into something that pulls a little bit more at the heartstrings. Uh, Omaha's Let's Go Miles Night. Uh, I think they called it their superhero night, but this is, was, was also supposed to honor a superhero, you know, kind of among us. Uh, Miles Mortensen, four-year-old son of Omaha pitcher Clay Mortensen, uh, who has been fighting cancer since 2014. Uh, the team put together a night to honor him uh, in June. You know, what was that? How did that come together? What were they able to do for for four-year-old Miles? Well, the the Storm Chasers have always been one of the most philanthropic and um, you know, really community-oriented teams in minor league baseball. I mean, all teams, it goes without saying, are community-oriented. But Marty Cordero, the GM, and his staff um, have really gone out of their way through the years to do um, above and beyond charitable events. And this takes a tragic situation, a uh, you know a four-year-old with cancer. And um, the, the support that they were able to muster for his cause uh, through these theme jerseys, uh, not only did they wear superhero theme jerseys honoring Miles, but they had a contest to design the jerseys and then had a vote to pick the winner. And... Um, so there was a, a a real strong lead up to this promotion, and uh, you know superhero nights are um, you know one of the biggest uh, recurring theme nights in minor league baseball. But to take that concept and say who's the superhero here? It's this four year old kid who's going through something horrific, as is his family, and we're going to support him, and uh, you know we're going to kind of redefine what true heroism is. Uh, I think that's a great concept, and they they raised a lot of money um, for Miles and for uh, cancer charities in general, and. Um, I thought it was one of the best, uh, from the fundraising aspect, one of the best uh, fundraising promotions of the year. That is a, a really, really cool one. And by the way, you can find more information about uh, the organization at facebook.com slash let's go miles. And as of last month, um, there was an update that Miles was gearing up for round four of chemo and antibody therapy at a hospital in Arizona. So you can go check that out um, and throw all of your weight behind uh, ending childhood cancer because I know that's near and dear to a ton of people's hearts. Um, Man versus Marathon was another charitable uh, endeavor taken on by the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. And this was uh, last season, the, the Rail Riders 
brought 12 teams of five runners each. And this is such a clever idea. They tried to run a team marathon in less time than it took to play that night's nine-inning game. Um, And, I mean, that's one of those things that you think of as it's being laid out, and you think, man, that is an ingenious idea. What was the story behind this one? Yeah, and it took a lot of coordination, too. And, you know, like a lot of things, it sort of just started as an offhand comment, kind of a joke. Um, You know, the staff this year's Rail Riders team, for whatever reason, was just in the habit of, you know, habitually uh, playing three-hour-plus ball games, and the staff just started to joke, like, you know, what would take longer, you know, to run a marathon or to play our games? And uh, from that just kind of offhand remark, uh, they got the idea of like, well, let's actually do it. So they designed a course that um, that it was only about a something like a 0.4 mile lap, you know, that was outside the ballpark and then back inside and running on the uh, outfield concourse. And so all during the game, they had these these marathon teams, you know, running laps, um, you know, trying to defeat uh, the ball game itself in terms of finishing. And I think only one of the teams did, but there was a team. Um, a team of runners that that played uh, that completed the marathon in, in less time than it took to play the ball game, and it was about a three hour and five minute ball game, and um, so yeah, proceeds from that went to charity, and um, the team on the field, the Rail Riders, wore uh, glow in the dark uh, like running bib style theme jerseys, so um, you know they they took it to another level with that element as well. And finally, we'll end uh, by taking our vegetables with asparagus night. There in Stockton in a year Nicely that it, done, Sam. Nicely yeah. done. I've been working on my segue like on our off days. Uh, in a year that felt so dominated by, you know, when you've got food nights, it's the more delicious stuff, the more ballpark-friendly stuff. Uh, why did Stockton turn to asparagus, and what made it a successful night as far as these things go? Well, Stockton in uh, the Central Valley of California, you know, has a, a ton of agriculture. It's uh, one of the most important industries uh, in that region for sure. And um, Stockton is known um, as the asparagus capital of the world. There's a ton of asparagus grown in that region. So this is a local pride thing. And uh, a couple of years ago, the the ports introduced a uh, uh, asparagus alternate logo. And it's, it has five o'clock dock, this grizzled sailor type holding stalks of asparagus. And um, they just continue to take this uh, – asparagus their love of asparagus and just keep pushing it further and further and this year they wore asparagus theme jerseys and um you know asparagus trivia questions and of course all sorts of asparagus specialties at the concession stands uh you know including the asparagus hot dog which um i got to see when i visited stockton later in the year and it was a very polarizing thing putting asparagus on a hot dog uh but every night at the ballpark in stockton you can get deep fried asparagus if you are into that kind of thing and uh i did when i did visit stockton i did uh talk to the team about the promotion and um i did hear that maybe the the bathrooms are not where you want to be on asparagus night Oh, that's a good point. It's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good disturbing point. Those are the ten finalists for promo of the year, which will be up on the site as uh, as your votes are all tabulated and uh, and counted, and uh, you know, hopefully no, hopefully no voter fraud. Um, an overblown pro- overblown problem in the Milbies. Obviously, we've got very strict controls over these things. Um, but 
in addition to this year's candidates, Ben's also going to be taking a look at some past season's candidates uh, and winners, in fact, of the Milby for promo of the year, because those have kind of gone, you know, I mean, we talked about uh, a Golden Bobblehead Award going to the the Bowling Green Club for the Cave Shrimp Night, which then turns into, you know, this season, the Bootleggers, but also spawned a ton of similar promotions from other teams around the country. What are some of the ones you're going to be looking back on from uh, the Milby perspective? Well, the first promo of the year was done, uh, was staged in 2008. And uh, so this uh, 2016 marks the ninth time we've uh, done this, uh, had a promotion of the year uh, award through MILB.com and the Milbys. So, uh, yeah, the story I have coming out on Thursday just takes a look back at, at each of the eight previous winners, uh, just kind of a trip down memory lane, if you will. And uh, so I'm just providing a little background on each of the previous winners. So check out or keep an eye out for that article, please, if you'd like to, in, to read my stuff. I am Ben Hill of MILB.com fame. And... Um, you know, I kind of wanted to see is is these past winners, did they set trends throughout the industry or were they kind of anomalous? And I think on the whole, most of them are anomalies uh, in that they were promotions that really could only have been done in one place. Uh, but not always. For example, uh, Bowling Green Cave Shrimp kick-started a, a whole wave of what could have been promos uh, throughout throughout the industry. Um, but then there are some like the Rickwood Classic, which won in 2010, where the Barons, you know, return to their old home of Rickwood Field every year for one game. You can't really transplant that to another market. Um, the uh, All-Star Game Home Run Derby in Charleston won in 2012, I believe, where they had uh, the, the Home Run Derby on the, the deck of an aircraft carrier. That's another one that's hard to replicate, but the storm, the Lake Elsinore storm did do that last year. So we did see some influence with that one, um, you know, chase the bat dog and his uh, tear jerking uh, retirement ceremony in Trenton that one a few years back. And uh, that's the kind of thing, you know, there's bat dogs throughout the, the league and um, but Trenton really uh, did it first, I believe, and then arguably did it best. So it's inter- interesting to see what is won. Uh, you know what the fans selected from the list of nominees, and uh, kind of to assess like their impact or lack thereof. Well, if you had to guess, then if, looking at this year's nominees, you know we don't know what's going to win yet. But if you did think there was going to be something that was going to carry on, kind of set a trend, what would you say of this year's group? Well, I think in certain ways they're either already part of a trend or um, have the potential to become one. Um, I think Kiss Night, as I said before, is one that you're, we're going to see more of. Um, I would like to see more mascots get ordained as uh, Universal Life Church ministers. <laughs> uh, I think the Life Size Bobblehead Hall of Fame is a great idea that, that any team could do. Um, I think we'll continue to see food stuff, uh, food promotions, and we'll see if any other team is able to uh, you know, to do it as well as uh, Lehigh Valley did with the cheesesteaks this year. And, of course, Fresno with the tacos before that. Man vs. Marathon takes a lot of coordination, but that's another one I think any team could do. Um, I would like to think that this year's crop, um, you know, will have influence uh, going forward because they were all um, expertly done. He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The look back on uh, past winners will be coming to the site shortly, and uh, and Milby Award winners we're announcing over the next couple of weeks, which we always have a ton of fun with. And uh, Ben, enjoy the the trip down memory lane for the the retro the retrospective story, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. I always enjoy trips down memory lane. It's a uh, very tranquil lane. It's a pleasant lane. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome. (laughs) 
Taylor Ward on Twitter at WardyBoy7 with two R's in there, by the way, just to clarify, because WardyBoy7 with one R is way too cool for everybody and has his account locked and also is not Taylor Ward. So um, no reason for you to go check him out. So W-A-R-R-D-Y-B-O-Y-7 for Taylor Ward. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. You can find him there. You can also find Sam Dykstra on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B, and I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, that's going to do it for the 80th edition of the show before the show podcast. Before we get out of here, though, tons of stuff coming up to the site um, as we roll into Org All-Stars. We are fully into Organization All-Stars now um, with a handful of teams already out and continuing those uh, really all the way up until Christmas. And also Arizona Fall League notebooks get started this week. Uh, I'm planning on catching up with Jared Miller of the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. Last night struck out four over an inning and two-thirds in his AFL debut. That story will run on Friday. That's our first AFL notebook. Um, So, yeah, we're getting things started fast and furious with the AFL. Yeah, no, that we're being thrown right in there uh, with the rest of everybody else. And those notebooks are always kind of fun because they give us a chance to focus on some of the guys who, uh, you know, there will certainly be some top prospects focused there. But like you mentioned, it's also a chance to talk to some of the relievers and uh, guys we don't necessarily talk to during the season, um, see how they're measuring up against, you know, what is essentially prospect finishing school in the AFL. Um, so I always enjoy those. Uh, yeah, Red Sox work all-stars I I had this week that ran on Monday. Uh, please read it. You know, I, There's nothing really I could add to it here on the podcast, uh, but if you have any questions about the Red Sox in their farm system from this year, please tweet them at me. I'll, I'll be more than happy to talk you through it or uh, talk with you about your thoughts about a pretty good year in the Boston organization, uh, you know, ALDS sweep uh, notwithstanding. So, yeah, no, it was a, I think it was a good, solid week for the offseason, and we're only going to build from here. Only getting started. Uh, a programming note coming up in uh, 10 days. I'm actually headed down to the Arizona Fall League for a couple of days of action. So if you've got AFL stuff that you would like Sam and I to discuss uh, or you would like uh, me to try to get a handle on while down there, a prospect you want to hear about, hear from on the podcast, feel free to fire those our way. I am going to put in a request for Tim Tebow. I assume that that request will be turned down. I know that the the media availability for him is pretty limited at this stage, Um, but just so you are aware, we are going to do that. We'll attempt to get him on the podcast um, to talk about AFL and all kinds of things uh, with a baseball career getting started. Um, But other than that, the Arizona Fall League is just a ton of fun. Um, As of right now, I mean, with all the the Major League postseason craziness, you're not going to see a lot of that coverage as of yet on MLB Network, but when the playoffs and the, uh, the World Series wrap up, then you'll start seeing a lot more of that stuff as the AFL reaches its conclusion in early November. So that's always fun too. And you can, of course, check out stuff on MLB.com as well as all of our coverage on MILB.com as well. Um, There's a lot of as wells in there (laughs) as well. It just means we're building on a lot of things. I'm interested in the job at corporate in well. In well? If this job is in a well, I don't want it. All right, that's going to do it. We'll get out of here. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. Talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 